we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold in my early days i faced a pivotal moment in my career instead of following the herd into traditional finance i charted my own course despite skepticism i founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility through perseverance i established myself as a leading voice in finance proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed to get what you want sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail that's what harry's did seeing people tricked by expensive razors harry's took a stand Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, as I suspected, we now have a bit of a civil war breaking out in the Republican Party. On the one side, you have the Freedom Caucus, and then you have everybody else or, you know, the mainstream of the Republican Party And it seems like Donald Trump is the general of the mainstream. And one of the battlefields is Twitter, where you have President Trump calling out even specific uh, congressional members of the Freedom Caucus by name and basically blaming them for the failure of the Republican agenda. Well, remember, we don't want the Republican agenda. Donald Trump ran on a platform of making America great again. Well, one of the reasons that America is not great is because of the Republican agenda. Republicans have played a role in destroying this economy. It's not like the Republicans are all good and the Democrats are all bad. That's not the case. I mean, for most Democrats and Republicans, the difference between a Republican and a Democrat is like the difference between Coke and Pepsi. I mean, sure, I guess some people can tell the difference, but there's very little real substantive distance. They're they're both colas. And the Republicans and the Democrats, they're all politicians, right? That's all they care about. They're there. It's a business. The business is perpetuating their own careers and their own power base. And so what do they need? They need votes and they need money. How do you get votes? Promise something for nothing. Right. Give out freebies. Take advantage of the fact that the average voter is a moron and they're just voting for free stuff from the government. 
It's just that the Democrats and the Republicans, sometimes there's a difference the way, the way they wrap it up, right? Remember, what was his name? Said, let's wrap up Obamacare in a Republican bow, right? Republicans like to wrap up socialism in different packaging, but that's how they get votes. They're afraid to engage the electorate on an intellectual level because they really don't have one, right? It's really emotion when it comes to dealing with the voters, and they want stuff that sounds good. Also, they need money. How do politicians get money? Well, you give out special favors to people who are in a position to give you a lot of money because you can't get the votes unless you have the money to advertise to get the votes or to have the political infrastructure to get out the vote. And so that's what the Republican Party is. So when you have Donald Trump saying, hey, you've got these uh, Freedom Caucus guys interfering with the Republican agenda, that's why they're there. Remember, these are the Tea Party Republicans who came to Washington to drain the swamp, right? Before Donald Trump was going to drain the swamp, you had people in Congress that wanted to drain it too. And they were running into opposition. Now, the opposition to swamp draining is President Trump because he is aligning himself with the Republican establishment, not with the anti-establishment change agents of the Republican Party the Freedom Caucus. I mean, if President Trump really wanted to make America great again, he would be standing beside the Freedom Caucus. He would be challenging the mainstream in the Republican Party to actually do something different, to actually make America great again by dismantling a lot of the big government programs that were implemented not only by Democrats, but by Republicans, right? Republicans and Democrats both played a part in ruining this country. But now uh, Donald Trump wants to align himself with the establishment in the Republican Party. And, you know, you always have some people in government that ideologically really want to make a difference on both sides, right? You have people on the Democratic Party that really believe in what they're doing, right? They're there for a reason. But unfortunately, the cause they believe in is socialism. They don't think capitalism works. They don't like the principles upon this, which this country was founded. And so they really want to move it sharply to the left, right? But they're on the fringe, right? They're, that's not all the Democrats. Most of the Democrats couldn't care less. They just want to get reelected, just like most of the Republicans. But, of course, then you have the wing of the Republican Party that actually cares about limited government, the Constitution, all of these principles, and that's the Freedom Caucus. And unfortunately, what, there's like 30 guys there? It's very small, right? You don't have that many people that are in Washington, in government, to actually make a difference, to actually do what they believe is good for the country, right? You've got the do-gooders on the Democratic Party who unfortunately, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They want to do good, but if they had their way, it would be a disaster, then on the Republican side, you have the Freedom, Freedom Caucus. They want to do good. And it would be great if we can you know, advance their agenda. And President Trump should be helping to do that. He should not be falling in line with the mainstream of the Republican Party. I mean, if we wanted that, we would have just elected Bush, right? I mean, why not put Jeb Bush in there if we just want uh, the mainstream, if we just want status quo, if we want another George Bush, then let's have you know, Jeb Bush. When people voted for Trump, they thought they were voting for change. But in reality, they're not. They're voting for more of the same. What's different about Trump, and again, people are going to say, well, Peter, you supported Trump. Hey, I supported Trump versus Clinton, right? 
That was a very low bar. I'd support almost anyone over Hillary Clinton. I didn't support Trump over Rand Paul. Rand Paul would have been a much better president than Donald Trump, and he would have actually represented change. Right? And there were some other Republicans that I thought I would have taken over Trump, but Trump beat him. You know? Now, I would have actually taken Gary Johnson over Trump, but I knew Gary Johnson had no chance. So, and I also wanted to send a protest, and I thought that Trump was a good protest vote, even though I didn't believe he was really the change element that people expected. And, but now, rather than aligning himself with the portion of the Republican Party that really wants to change America and make America great again, he's veering to the left, and he's more likely going to form a coalition that includes the mainstream of the Democratic Party and the mainstream of the Republican Party. He's going to govern in the center. So what does that mean? That means more of the same. That means government continues to grow. The national debt continues to grow. We continue to have all these regulations and taxes that undermine our competitiveness. It's just that we tinker around the edges. We make some small changes so the politicians can pretend they got something done. So they can go back to their constituents and say, you see, I did this. I, and, and, and meanwhile, nothing is going to be accomplished. That is unfortunately the reality. I mean, the other benefit, I believe, of having Trump in there is when everything implodes, when we have this real crisis, which I do believe is going to happen during Trump's first term. And I say first term, it might be his only term, right? There may not be a second term, but it will happen during the next four years. With George Bush, he was lucky enough that the bubble didn't burst until his second term. So he had a second term. But Trump is not going to be so lucky. This bubble is going to burst during the first four years or his initial term. And so it's going to be very difficult for him to have a second term. But maybe he will use uh, the fact that he has that first term to try to do something that actually might help the country in the long run rather than simply trying to uh, win, win a second term. Now, while I'm on the topics of deficits, you know, the Congressional Budget Office came out with this report. And they always do this every once in a while, some report about how the debt is going to be a big problem in the future, right? It's never a problem today. It's always a problem in the future if we don't do something about it. And so this report had to do with the debt problem 30 years from now, 30 years from now. I mean, most Americans couldn't care less, or certainly most politicians couldn't care less about the economy 30 years from now because they're not going to be in office 30 years from now. A lot of these Republicans or Democrats, they won't even be alive in 30 years. So what do they care, right? And in fact, a lot of times when the Congressional Budget Office puts out these, uh, these reports, you think, oh, you know, they're warning about a problem because they want us to do something. No, no, they're actually trying to downplay the problem. They're trying to diffuse it by creating the false impression that it's a problem in 30 years. 30 years, this report says 30 years from now, the debt to GDP is going to be 150%. 30 years from now, the national debt is going to be almost 10%, or the budget deficit, rather, is going to be almost 10% of GDP. First of all, how do they know? I mean, these morons can't even figure out what the economy is going to be like next year. Remember, the Congressional Budget Office did not forecast the financial crisis of 2008 in 2007. In fact, they didn't forecast it in early 2008. So if they couldn't see a crisis right around the corner, how can they see stuff that's 30 years into the future? Yet they come out and say, in 30 years, in 2047, the debt will be 9.8, the budget deficit will be 9.8% of GDP. How do they know? 
I mean, they know exactly what the GDP is going to be in 30 years. They know exactly what the budget deficit is going to be. I mean, it's 9.8. I mean, how do they know it's not 10? It's 9.8, right? 9.8, exactly. They pinpointed, right? If they were that smart, these guys could be geniuses because why don't they know what the stock market's going to be at in 30 years? Or all, all, I mean, the price of anything. They, they, these guys know nothing. They put out these, these studies. But the bottom line is we could be at 150% uh, debt to GDP in a couple of years. I mean, all we need is one big recession and there we go, right? And what if interest rates spike? If interest rates spike, the deficits explode because now the cost of funding the deficit goes through the roof. You know, and forget about just the trade deficit, our current account deficit, the world. We, our creditors are loaded up with U.S. debt, right? Low yielding U.S. debt. What if all of a sudden uh, yields spike and now we have to pay much higher costs? So, I mean, this whole thing can blow up any day. This is not a problem 30 years from now. This is a problem right now. Every day we go to sleep, we can wake up and there's a debt crisis. The fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And I know the fact that a lot of people like me have been warning about the problem for years and it hasn't blown up. It allows the establishment to discredit people like me. as Oh, he's just a chicken little. He's a stop clock. He's a fear marker. No, the problem is real. The fact that I'm warning about it in advance uh, doesn't negate the validity of the warning because once the crisis is over, then it's, you know, I mean, what good is warning about something after it happens? That's what all these morons in Congress did with the financial crisis. They all Monday, you know, Monday morning quarterbacked it. What good is that? The game's over, right? I am giving a warning in advance. So maybe, maybe we could do something about it to mitigate the damage, to veer from this destructive course. But no, we're just going to keep on going because, hey, it's 30 years into the future. Okay, we'll deal with it then. And even if it's 30 years into the future, okay, we'll do something in 20 years, right? We got, we got a long time before we have to do anything. That's really the goal of these reports is to sugarcoat the problem by postponing the, the pain into some distant point in the future where no one really cares. And so we just, you know, keep on going along because, hey, if it's not going to be a problem until 30 years, okay, great. Let's just keep running deficits now because, you know, we'll deal with it later. I want to spend the, the rest of, of this podcast, though, just talking about the, the markets. This is the end of the first quarter. Today is the last day of March. Now, I don't know how the, the quarter is going to shake out. I'm recording this early in the morning. The market hasn't even opened yet. Uh, and I'm doing it early in the day because I'm leaving uh, on a trip. And so I'm going to be away for a little over a week. I'll try to do some podcasts. I'm going to bring my mic with me. So I'll apologize in advance for the quality of of the sound. Everybody always complains when I do these, these things for the road. Oh, and by the way, too, I, you know, I've been living in Puerto Rico since uh, January 1st, and I don't have the big studio in Puerto Rico that I have in, in Connecticut, because I built that studio. I set it up when I was doing the radio show, so I have much better acoustics and I have better audio equipment in my home studio in Connecticut than I do out here in Puerto Rico. I did set up another TV-type studio, so I can do hits on you know CNBC or Fox or anybody that wants to have me on, I can do video interviews from Puerto Rico the same way I can in Connecticut. But I don't have the same uh, quality of uh, audio studio. I will be back in Connecticut probably in June, and so you maybe you'll notice that the podcast will get better uh, when when I'm back in uh, in Connecticut. But for now, I've just been doing it in Puerto Rico. But I guess they won't they won't be as good. I'm going to be on a ship. Remember, I told you guys about. The real estate guys cruise while I'm going on that cruise. So to the extent that I do a podcast next week, I'm doing it at sea on a ship. Uh, and so it won't, it won't be as good. But if there's some important information, I will try to get it out. But meanwhile, I don't really know how today is going to shake out. But I know how the rest of the quarter 
has shaken out. And despite all of the, you know, the, the attention that the U.S. stock market got, and it's still a positive quarter. I mean, the U.S. stock market is up, right? The big, fat, ugly bubble that Donald Trump spoke about when he was a candidate has gotten a lot bigger since he was president. But the real action has been overseas. The emerging markets have delivered phenomenal returns. I mean, double, triple the returns of the Dow and the S&P. Uh, not double the NASDAQ, but beat the NASDAQ. I mean, the emerging markets beat the NASDAQ. Um, also, just in foreign markets in general were beat the, uh, beat the U.S. market. And it was helped by a weakening of the dollar. Now, the dollar hasn't weakened substantially on the quarter, maybe 1% to 2% against the dollar index. But against other currencies, some of the emerging market or commodities currencies, you got the dollar down 4 5 6%. So the dollar was weak in the first quarter, despite two rate hikes, right? The rate hike we got in December and the one we got in March. Those rising rate hikes did not help the dollar. And most of the Trump dollar rally has reversed, has fizzled out. And so... The real action has been overseas. So Americans who invested their money outside the United States, despite the belief that Trump is going to make America great again, the people that invested in the United States based on Trump optimism are doing worse than people who invested internationally uh, and people invested in gold stocks or even beating, uh, although some of the shine has come off gold stocks uh, you know, in, since mid-February. But even if you look back since the first of the year, the index of gold stocks is still outperforming the Dow, right, or even the you know the Nasdaq. So the market is not behaving as as people thought. And what I really want to talk about, though, is what I'm experiencing in my own my own firm. And I think this is a very very uh, good indication of a top in the U.S. market because what I've been observing this quarter is a substantial number of my clients, Europe Pacific Capital clients, have been throwing in the towel, right? Have been closing their accounts. I think, at least, I don't know if a day has gone by this quarter where a client hasn't closed an account. Sometimes it's two or three in one day. Now, I have a lot of clients. So as a percentage of my entire client base, it's still small, but it's significant in that I can't remember a quarter where I was losing this many clients on a consistent basis. And pretty much everybody is saying the same thing. Well, it's performance. I'm leaving because of the performance, despite the fact that this quarter is probably one of our best quarters for performance since 2009. And we're certainly outperforming the U.S. stock market this quarter. And, you know, I can't really get into all the specifics. You know, there's a lot of regulation when I talk about my funds or, or performance, but not just me, just you know, if you adopted my strategy, if you invested abroad, if you got out of the dollar, if you invested in foreign markets, in commodity stocks, you beat the U.S. market, right? Yet despite this, we have a lot of clients who are saying, well, you know, I'm leaving because of performance. And in fact, a lot of these clients, their accounts outperformed the U.S. market last year. So they outperformed the U.S. market this year. They outperformed the U.S. market last year, yet they're leaving because of performance. And, and why? Why all of a sudden are people thinking about that? It's because of the U.S. stock market going above 20,000 or 21,000 and all the hype and all the hysteria. Because everyone that I'm talking to is pretty much going to get into U.S. stocks. That's what they're doing, right? They want to leave because they think the performance of what I'm doing is not going to be as good as the performance in the U.S. market.
right? Forgetting about what's happened in the last few months or the last year. It's just over a longer term, people are now excited about the U.S. stock market. And this, to me, is a major, major capitulation on the part of my clients. Think about why a lot of my clients came to me. And most of these clients who are leaving are clients that came to me in, I'd say, 2012, 2013, 2014. So they missed out on all the great years that I had from 2001 through 2007, right? And they missed out on the big years, most of them in 2009, 2010. They kind of came in, uh, you know, post-2011, 12, in that, in that area. And that, that was a difficult time to initially be with me because the dollar was so strong. That's when we had this huge bear market in gold stocks. So that period of time was very similar to the late 1990s, right? If you started with me in 1997, you, you really had a tough time. Between 1997 and 2001, your count went down, right? Well, everybody in the U.S. stock market, you know, made a bunch of money during the tech bubble, right? Then that all turned. 2001, everything turned. And we had a huge, huge run from 01 to 08, and not only did we catch up to all the people who had gains in the U.S. market, but as they surrendered a lot of those gains and the tech wreck and the bursting, I mean, we continued to go up. And so over the entire, let's say, a 10-year period of time from 1997 to 2007, we did much better than the U.S. stock market. I mean, it was a, I mean, an, an order of magnitude. It wasn't just a little bit better. It was enormous outperformance, even though for the first five years of that time period, we underperformed. We more than made up for it in the, in the back half. And, and so to me, those years from 2012 through 2015 were very similar to those years. And I think my strategy really bottomed out and turned January of 2016. But I think this is just the beginning. But why now are so many clients all of a sudden deciding they want into the U.S. stock market? And I think it's because of Donald Trump and the, the media attention and the, the widespread belief that things are going to change. Things are going to go better. Because a lot of these clients who sent me money did it because they were worried about the U.S. economy. Right? That's why they wanted out of the U.S. market. That's why they wanted out of the dollar. They were worried about Barack Obama and all the terrible things that his policies were going to do uh, to the, the U.S. economy. Or they were worried about the Fed. right? And so they established accounts with me. Now, despite these concerns and despite all the bad things that Obama did. And despite all the bad things the Fed did, the dollar kept rising. And so a lot of my clients who were worried in 2011, 2012 about the U.S. market, the U.S. economy, who sent me their money, they would have been better off staying in the U.S. market, at least until now. They were right in that Obama would damage the economy and that the Fed would damage the economy. But the damage has not manifested itself in the markets the way they expected. But now they're so excited about the prospects of a, a change. They now believe that Trump is going to fix all the problems that led them to open up an account with me in the first place. Right? And now they want to get back into the U.S. stock market. So after sitting out the bull market in U.S. stocks, right, from and a lot of these clients that I have, even before they sent me their money, they weren't even in the U.S. stock market. I mean, so the U.S. stock market... In 2008, when it bottomed out, was what, 7,000, whatever it was? And so it rallies up to 20,000, it triples. And now, a lot of my clients who were too afraid to buy U.S. stocks when Obama was president, now they want to buy them because Trump is president. But the problem is, they're so super expensive right now. Right? I mean, 
This is the worst time to be buying U.S. stocks. And my clients were right in that Barack Obama's policies did major damage to the U.S. economy. The problem is the Federal Reserve policies did even more damage to the U.S. economy, but they covered up the damage caused by Barack Obama. I mean, obviously, they didn't cover it up completely. That's why Donald Trump is now president, because of the damage done to the economy. But because of the asset bubbles, because of the cheap money and the inflated asset prices and the fact that the dollar also rose, that kept U.S. import prices down, keeping consumer prices down, helping to keep interest rates down so that mortgage rates could stay low. This artificial economy, this huge bubble, has prevented a lot of the problems that were created over the last eight years from rising to the surface in a way that the markets understand it and in a way that manifests itself in positive returns in the portfolios of people who perceive these problems and try to invest with these problems in mind. So now you have a bunch of people who are throwing in the towel and capitulating and say, oh, I want to buy U.S. stocks. I want to be in the U.S. dollar. I'm no longer worried about the problems in the economy. I'm no longer worried about the problems that the Fed created. I just want to buy the U.S. market because the U.S. market has done better, not than the foreign markets this year or last year, but going back to 2012 or 2013, those three or four years that the U.S. markets performed better than, let's say, my strategy. And just assuming that it's going to perform better in the future. That's just as foolish, in fact, more so as people who were worried about the U.S. stock market under Bill Clinton. And then as soon as Bush became president, they bought U.S. stocks at the peak because now there was a Republican. And now they collapsed with the market, right? They, they missed out on the boom because they were worried about Clinton and they bought in just in time for the bust. And then they missed out on all the gains in the foreign markets. They missed out on the gains in gold, in gold stocks, in commodities. They're all coming. And so I think the same thing, unfortunately, is going to happen to the Euro-Pacific clients that were smart enough to send me money a few years ago, but are now dumb enough to buy into the U.S. stock market, right? Because now they think the problems have been solved. They're not solved. All of these problems that Barack Obama created, and that the Federal Reserve covered up and then created even bigger ones, they're all going to blow up. They're just going to blow up on Trump's watch. Just because Trump is president, it's not going to stop the collapse. And you can see it's obvious that Donald Trump is behaving more like a mainstream Republican. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, he is not aligning himself with the Freedom Caucus, the real people that want to shake up Washington, the people who came to Washington you know, with the Tea Party to really drain the swamp, to stir things up, right? to change the Republican Party. Donald Trump wants it to make it you know, the status quo, only with a little bit more trade uh, stuff or uh, appealing more to the union worker, the blue-collar worker. I mean, he may be uh, more of a liberal Republican in the way he's governing now than Bush was, or even his father, even Bush Sr., Right? I mean, people were thinking he's a new Ronald Reagan. He's not even close uh, to being Ronald Reagan in political ideology or how he seems to be uh, running the White House today and the allies that he's picked in Congress. Yet it isn't stopping my clients. And obviously, too, if you look at the, uh, the consumer sentiment, investor sentiment numbers among Republicans, they are off the charts. Republicans have never been this optimistic Maybe ever. And obviously, almost all of my clients are Republicans. And so they're, they're more optimistic than ever. And, and so they're believing, in the, they're, they're believing this hype. 
And so they think, oh, the coast is clear. There's nothing to worry about. The problems are solved. I don't need to invest my money in New Zealand or Switzerland or Singapore or Hong Kong. I'll just invest in the United States. It doesn't matter what, how high the PE is. Oh, it doesn't matter about the debt. It doesn't matter about, you know, uh, what's happened over the last eight years because Trump is president and now all the problems are going to go away. They're not. Right? These problems are looming larger than ever. Anybody who was worried about the U.S. economy and who opened up an account with me a few years ago, they should be more worried now. All of the problems are bigger today than they were then. So if you thought that you should have opened up an account then, well, you should open up an account even more now. And if you're somebody that happened to start a few years ago and over the last year, year and a half, I mean, all that's happened is, you know, maybe you've gotten back to even, right? Or maybe even you're still down a little bit. You shouldn't be thinking, oh, this is bad that I bought these stocks and they're down. What you should be thinking of, you know, I sent some money into Euro Pacific because I was worried about the U.S. economy. And now the problems are even bigger and I have an opportunity to send more money into my account at more favorable exchange rates. Because the reason that our portfolios are down from a given point in time is not because the stocks went down. Universally, it's because the, the dollar went up. It's because these foreign currencies that these stocks are priced in and traded in went down. But they're not going to stay down. This is a dollar bubble. And I think the dollar bubble is going to be the first one to burst. It'll burst before the bond bubble. It'll burst before the stock bubble because the Federal Reserve is willing to sacrifice the dollar to prop up all the other bubbles. And so is Donald Trump. I mean, you don't even have to read between the lines. He comes right out and says he wants a weaker dollar. His presidency, he ran on a campaign of a weak dollar. The dollar is going to weaken. And ultimately, of course, the U.S. stock market is very expensive. It is going to come down. We are going to have a correction. We would have a bear market. We would have a massive bear market. You know, the U.S. stock market has been cut in half twice in the last 17 years, and it would happen again. I think the Fed is going to prevent it, though, this time. I think the Fed is all in on asset bubbles. I think the Fed knows where its bread is buttered here. And I don't think the Fed is going to allow a third market collapse. I think they're going to do everything they can to prop the market up. And that means aborting the rate hikes, going back to QE. And that's going to tank the dollar. But even if the Fed doesn't do that, even if the Fed continues to hike rates the way it's been doing it, the dollar's still going down because those rate hikes are not going to be enough to uh, restrain inflation. So real rates are going to be falling even as nominal rates are rising. And the rate hikes are not going to be as much as what was already discounted into the dollar. And the economy is going into recession. And so if the Fed wants to raise rates into a recession or during a recession, there is no way that is good for the dollar. And if you look at the correlation right now, the dollar is starting to uh, trade with the stock market, meaning that when the stock market is up in the U.S., the dollar's up. When the stock market's going down, the dollar's going down. Because I think it's a sale of U.S. assets. So if we go into recession and if the U.S. stock market is going into a correction and you have a general sale of U.S. assets, the U.S. dollar is going to go down. So the dollar is going down no matter what the Fed does. If the Fed raises rates, the dollar goes down. If the Fed doesn't raise rates, it indicates that it's cutting rates, it goes down even faster. But either way, we're going down and eventually we're going down for the count. Eventually, the dollar decline is going to turn into a currency crisis. And I feel very badly for the clients who are giving up. I mean, to me, it's like I have these clients. I got them off the Titanic and they're in they're in a lifeboat and I know they're in a secure boat. 
And all of a sudden, they just want to jump back on the Titanic. I mean, they're getting excited. They hear the band playing. They want to dance. They want to be partying on the, on the Titanic. And I'm like, what are you doing? The ship's going to sink. Stay put. Stay where you are. But I'm upset about it in that I hate to see these clients that did the right thing and that were uh, convinced that there was a problem. They tried to hedge themselves. And now they unwind their hedge. They jump, ju- they jump back on the Titanic just in time for it to sink. Because those clients are going to end up losing as much money as all the people who never did the right thing in the first place. So it's unfortunate in, in that respect. But the one thing that I that I think is a positive about it, at least from my perspective, is it is a very encouraging contrary indicator. that. And this is what you know hurts retail investors all the time. I mean, they constantly lose money in the markets because of their own emotional, uh, irrational timing uh, decisions, right? They get excited and enthusiastic when things are going up and they jump on board. And then when things go down, they they get scared and they sell and they don't have the patience. I mean, if you want to make a lot of money in the market, you got to be patient, right? You got to buy value, right? You got to buy things that other people don't want. You got to buy when other people are selling and you got to recognize that you're never going to buy the bottom because if you're looking for value and other people don't see it, then, you know, after you buy it, it's still going to get cheaper. Don't worry about it. The difference between price of a stock between the time you buy it and the time you sell it is just noise. It's all noise. What matters is the dividends that you collect while you own the stock and then what price you get when you ultimately sell it, if you sell it. And it needs to be a lot higher than the price you paid when you bought it. Or if you get enough dividends, it doesn't even matter. If it's that much higher, it can even be lower and you can still have a good investment depending on how good your dividend yield is. But what doesn't matter is what happens in between the time that you buy and sell. Because what I find a lot of investors do, they buy a stock and then it goes way up, but then they don't sell it. And then it crashes and then they sell it and then they lose money. They collected no dividends. They watched the stock go way up. Then they watched it go crashing down and then they panic and they sold it for a loss. And when you do that, does it matter that for a while you had a paper profit? No. Paper profit means nothing. You know, man, yeah, you can remember the fact that you had a profit that you didn't take. But at the end of the day, if you didn't take it, you didn't have a profit. You lost money. It's all noise. And it's the same thing if you buy a stock and it goes down. If you buy a stock and it goes down and you don't sell it, you haven't lost any money. Right? And then if it goes back up and it's higher eventually, right, you made money. Now, is it possible? Let's say you bought a stock and then it goes down. Now, yes, you could have bought it cheaper had you waited. But that's with the benefit of hindsight. You don't know. That's not a loss just because you bought something and then you could have bought it cheaper. Now, maybe you buy more cheaper. I mean, you don't go all in. Right? Maybe you buy some, you buy a stock, you think it's a good value, and then it goes down, you buy a little bit more. Right? As long as the fundamentals are the same, what, what difference does it make if some other fool wants to continue to sell? I got a lot of stocks, some of my biggest winners, stocks in my portfolio that I have the most gains are stocks that I was down on for years uh, before they ultimately turned around. But it didn't mean I didn't make money just because they went against me initially. It's, you know, it's rare that you buy something, it immediately goes up, especially if you're buying something for value, if you're buying something out of favor. Usually the only way you can buy something that, and it immediately goes up is if you're chasing momentum, if you're just buying something because everybody else is buying it. You're buying it because it's going up. And yeah, there you buy it and it goes up for a while and then it lulls you into a false sense of complacency because you think you made a good decision and then you, then you end up losing a lot of money with everybody else. I mean, it's an old Wall Street saying, don't confuse brains with a bull market, right? Everybody makes money in a bull market, not because they're smart, because they're too dumb to realize 
that what they're buying is overpriced. Everybody made money in the dot-com stocks in the 1990s until everybody lost it all when the bubble burst. How many people got in and got out? Very few. And, you know, where I've made my money over my career is by betting against the consensus, understanding where the consensus is wrong and then taking the opposite side. But you've got to be patient. It, it never happens immediately. You know, the, the dot-com bubble got a lot bigger than I thought. But I made a lot of money on the dot-com bubble, not by shorting the dot-com stocks, but by buying all the stocks that nobody wanted when they were buying the dot-com stocks. I was getting a lot of energy stocks and other resource names, uh, 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 mining stocks. They were throwing these things away. I mean, some of my biggest gains were on these energy stocks that I was buying uh, in 1998, 1999, when people thought oil was going to $10 a barrel. Everybody was just buying new economy. Nobody wanted old economy. So I loaded up on old economy and I waited. But then think about the housing market. Think about uh, the, the trade against subprime, the hedge fund that we set up to short subprime. I mean, I was warning about the problems in the housing market and the mortgage market. I started in 2002. The bubble didn't burst until 2007. That was five years of people telling me that I was a stop clock, that I didn't know what I was talking about. Look, house prices keep going up. And they did keep going up until they came crashing down. And the fact that people made money on shorting the subprime market, the reason that they made so much money is because the bubble got so big. The bigger the bubble and the fewer people that recognize it, the more money you make when you bet against it. And, you know, yes, housing prices in some parts of the country have recovered thanks to the Fed. They're going to collapse again. But, you know, where I live in Connecticut, house prices are still 20 or 30 percent below where they were in 2002. Even though they kept going up from 2002 to 2006, 2007, they're way lower than they were back then, back then. And that's probably true in other parts of the country as well. But you've got to be patient, right? You've got to be able to take the heat. Now, the interesting thing, at least about the experience that we're having now with, with, with my clients, is I think the heat ended in December of 2015. So we've been outperforming since then. But I think the heat now is more of a political nature. It's understanding that all of this optimism about making America great again and about solving all our problems, it's all unfounded, right? Just like the Democrats were disappointed in Barack Obama. How enthusiastic were the Democrats when Barack Obama was elected president? Remember, remember some of the people who were saying, I'll never have to worry about anything again. I won't have to worry about my rent. I won't have to worry about this because everything was going to be for free, right? Especially among black Americans, because now we had a black president, right? And so he was going to take care of blacks, right? They thought this is, oh, great. Now we, now we have our own president and he's going to, you know, just like the white folks had their president was making things great for white. Now, now we have a black president, so everything's going to be great. Right? The black community was so optimistic about Barack Obama and how this was going to be a big change, right? And none of it happened. All of the optimism was wrong. What happened during Barack Obama's presidency? I mean, he campaigned, you know, I'm going to bridge the gap between the rich and the poor. But it widened. The disparity between the rich and the poor was much higher when Barack Obama left office, then when he took office, poverty went up, people on food stamps, people on disability, right? Real incomes fell, average household net worth went down. By any objective measure, the poor and the middle class who voted enthusiastically for Obama, particularly the poor, the poor got poorer and the, the super rich got richer. So nothing changed. Well, just the way the Democrats were disappointed in Obama, Republicans are going to be disappointed in Trump. 
the, these problems are too big. Even if Trump tried to solve them, legitimately, we can't solve them without a crisis. But he's not even trying to solve them. And unfortunately, you have a small fraction. Thankfully, it's not a lot, a, a large percentage of my clients. But you have a significant enough number that I'm noticing the clients closing out. And I talk to everybody, too. I call up people who are closing their accounts. And again, they're telling me this. They're telling me they're going to buy U.S. stocks. Well, I'm going to a local guy, you know, and I'm going to buy, you know. Yeah, they're going to just load up on U.S. stocks at the top, at the top. And, you know, they're not worried anymore about the problems that caused them to open up an account, even though those problems are now much bigger than they were back then. And just like the lemmings who piled into the U.S. stock market in 2000, they're going to get clobbered. I mean, this is not like 2008 as far as I'm concerned. It's like 2000, right? This is super valuation, tech bubble. And this is, again, a turnover from a Democratic administration to a Republican administration where you have this huge bubble under the Democrat that is going to blow up under the Republican, right? Trump did not cause the problems that he's inherited, but he's inherited them and they are going to blow up on his watch. And there is nothing that he is doing that is going to stop this crisis from happening. And there is a risk that four years from now, we got President Sanders, that things are going to get so bad. And once again, the Republicans are going to get the blame and it's going to be a, a sweep of the Democrats will take the Senate, the Democrats will take the House, they'll take the White House. And so then what, right? Then a lot of the people who were closing out their accounts with me, right, in this year, because they were so optimistic, they're going to be calling back up uh, to reestablish the accounts. Except the problem is they could be down 20%, 30% or more on their U.S. investments. Meanwhile, their foreign investments that they sold in order to buy in the U.S. market, it could cost them two or three times or more to buy them back. Because I think not only will those foreign stocks have gone up as people are starting to flee U.S. assets in search of real safe havens, but the dollar will have collapsed. So now the cost of buying the currencies that you need to buy those foreign stocks will be much higher. And of course, again, you know, will I discourage those people from coming back? Probably not. But it would have been better off had they just stayed the course, had they not, you know, interrupted the game midstream by jumping back on the Titanic and then desperately trying to get off the Titanic when it's, you know, almost fully submerged in water and there's not a lot of room left in the lifeboats and they're just dangling. Right now, they could have just stayed put and just watched the ship sink from a distance, uh, knowing that they're safe on a lifeboat. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. 
Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams, and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.